Hey everyone, my name is Josh Proctor and this is the Life on Side B podcast. On this podcast, we are going to discuss, as the name pretty much clearly states, what life as Side B LGBT Christians is really like. For those of you who don't know, Side B is a term used to refer to Christians who are LGBT, attracted to the same sex, or have gender dysphoria, yet hold a traditional view of sexuality and marriage, and therefore live according to that view. Every episode, I will be talking with different Side B Christians about different aspects of their life, faith, and experiences. My goal with this podcast is to show that being Side B is not this depressing life of self-hatred and loneliness, but rather, it can be pretty dang beautiful and amazing. Now, every season, we will be focusing on a different theme of sexuality and faith issues related to the lives of Side B Christians. This season, though, I am really excited because we are going to be looking at different ways Side B Christians live out their sexuality and find intimacy and community. Each of these interviews has been a huge encouragement, even for me, as I navigate what community and belonging look like in my own life. You will be able to see that there are so many different ways that Side B Christians can live with joy within their faith. And in that way, I hope it can be an encouragement for you too. So with that, let's head into today's episode. are back for the last episode. No, it's not the last episode. We are back for the last interview. Or no, this isn't the last interview. What is this? Um, We are back for the last topic of the season for Life on Side B. Today we are discussing, once again, celibate partnerships with Max. I have been really excited to get Max on the podcast uh, because he has not only experience of being in a celibate partnership, but being in one for more than eight years. So I thought it would be great to get his experience after being in one for multiple years and to be able to talk about this topic. Again, in case you didn't listen to the last one, uh, I first of all, I would recommend you going back and listening to the conversation with Matt. I enjoyed it and I had so much fun talking with him. Uh, I also want to give this preface in case you didn't listen to his that, you know, not all side B people agree on this topic. And you know what? We don't all have to agree. We can have different opinions. That is fine. We are all called to different areas. But it's important to acknowledge that many side B people find themselves in partnerships And therefore, we need to give a voice to the experiences that people have and how it draws them more into Christ and and builds up their faith and brings them into community. So here we go for the last topic, not last interview, not last episode. We still have some more coming after this. So keep listening after this episode. But we are here for the last topic of this season, and I really hope you all enjoy it.
All right. Well, first of all, can you, um, I guess for people listening who might not know you, Max, could you give a little bit of an introduction about yourself? What you, what you would like to share? Um, sure. My name is Max. I'm 31. I uh, live in North Carolina where I work as a teacher and yeah, I, I guess I've been in a partnership with my partner, Jonathan, for eight years now. Um, so I'm looking forward to talking about that. And do you want to just go ahead and just kind of explain, like, you know, how I identify and, and how I kind of came to this position? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So just, yeah, uh, share how you identify and just kind of how you've gotten to where you're at in reconciling your faith and sexuality. Definitely. Sure. Sure. Well, let's see. I grew up in the United Methodist Church. And I came out of the closet when I was in high school. I think I kind of you know, knew I was gay or same-sex attracted in junior high, but I, I came out, I think my senior year of high school, uh, to friends and my brother and then my parents my freshman year of college. Um, I didn't really think about how to reconcile my faith and sexuality until college. I grew up in a pretty liberal household and it wasn't until college that I started to take my faith more seriously. And as I did that, I kind of went in a more conservative theological direction. Um, so that's when it became a serious question to figure out how to reconcile my faith um, and my sexuality. I hadn't really thought of that before. And so that's why I started blogging around that time. I was trying to find other people who were grappling with these questions um, so I could ask them questions and, you know, put my own thoughts out there and see where that led. And so uh, that's how I came across people who were involved in the ex-gay movement. Um, and so I started reading a lot of the literature that was being published around that time. This was kind of the middle to late 2000s. And I pretty quickly realized that that wasn't for me. I didn't fit into many of the ex-gay narratives. I felt comfortable with my masculinity. I had been an athlete in high school. I didn't have a problem forming friendships with straight guys. I had a good relationship with my father. So all these different deficits, I think, that ex-gays theorized were responsible for same-sex attraction just didn't apply to me. And because they didn't apply to me, that movement just didn't have much to offer for me. So I was kind of adjacent to it, but, but feeling pretty homeless around that time. And nevertheless, I still didn't really feel convinced by side A arguments. Um, you know, I still felt a conviction that same sex um, behavior was wrong. And I wasn't intellectually convinced by the um, affirming arguments that I was I was listening to. And so it was around that time that I started um, reading more of the side B voices um, that were coming out around that time. You had Ron Belgao and Joanna Finnegan, Eve Tushnet. Um, and then finally, I think Wesley Hill published his book, which was uh, very influential for me and a lot of other people. And so I think by the time I left college and was in sort of grad school, I, I felt pretty secure in my identity as someone who was both gay and comfortable calling himself gay, um, but also celibate. And I felt like I had formed a little community. 
of fellow side B Christians as well at that time. Um, and so that, you know, that kind of, there was a lot of stability there. I think once I, you know, felt convinced by side B, I guess the side B framework, I haven't really left it. It's been, it's been pretty comfortable for me. Hmm. Yes. So you've been kind of side B for at least a decent amount of time. I mean, uh, I, I I would say since I was 18. I mean, yeah. even when I was, even when I think I would identify as more ex-gay, you know, I, I still, I, I've, I've never been side A, let's put it that way. I've never had mm-hmm. the, at, once I started really thinking about my faith um, and was more than just kind of a Christmas and Easter Christian, I, I have, I've had a pretty conservative sexual ethic. So I haven't really deviated from that in theory. I'm obviously I've, I have stumbled and I've, you know, have not always lived up to my ideals, but I've never, um, I've never shifted what I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And now, sorry, where is my brain going? Why is my brain not working? <laughs> um, it's okay. You know, as we're here talking about celibate partnerships, uh, I've been really excited to talk with you because as you said, you've been in a celibate partnership for eight years. Is that correct? That's what you Yeah. Yeah. Um, we got together when I was in grad school. Yeah. And so I've been really excited to talk to you as someone who's had, you know, quite a few years of experience in, in this realm <laughs> of topic. Um, so before we get into the actual, um, you know, hearing more about your relationship and, and all of those kind of things, I know for a lot of people, you know, this is our second episode on this topic uh, for the season. And so if people heard the last episode, they might be a little bit familiar with the topic. But for those who are just listening for the first time, how would you define a celibate partnership for those who've never heard of the term? Well, just just as a disclaimer, I, I didn't listen to the last episode, so I don't know how that person would have don't worry. defined it. And I, I think it is important to recognize that different people might have different definitions for uh, what they would consider a celibate partnership. So for me, and uh, Jonathan, I think, you know, we're committed to each other. Um, We have promised to take care of each other and to look out for each other. It's basically like almost just kind of inviting each other to be family, you know, to be that person that you have a sense of responsibility for and obligation Mm -hmm. to. Uh, we're a team and unlike a heterosexual marriage, you know, we are intentionally celibate. You know, there's no, you know, I think that the one flesh bond that a husband and wife have is not something that we have. Um, and so I think that's, that's the major distinction, but otherwise I think it's almost like making uh, someone literally your, your brother, your companion, your, your friend and having that sort of, very intentional, you know, I'm here for you, you're here for me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I totally agree with what you said at the beginning. And that's kind of why I wanted to ask you um, about your definition of it, even along with um, Matt, who I talked to in the last episode, because I, I do agree with what you said that different people will probably define it in a different way. And so that becomes important to hear from different voices and see here how different people define it and how different people, how it's realized in different, you know, partnerships. 
So could you share a little bit about, first of all, I guess, how you first learned about this concept of a celibate partnership and also how you and your partner met? Um, I don't really know where I, I learned about it. I think it was something that maybe someone had floated on a blog post somewhere back when I was blogging. You know, I, I think, you know, lots of people had mentioned it before as a possibility or had, had at least debated it of whether or not it was a good thing. And I, and I was kind of agnostic to that whole debate until I met Jonathan and we really hit it off. So he actually met me through my blog. Um, he was at another university and uh, he was also gay and Christian. And um, I think he found my blog through a comment I had left on another blog because I mean, I don't know if you were kind of around during that time period, but everyone had a blog. I yeah. feel like one who was gay and Christian or, or same sex attracted or what have you was, was kind of putting all their heart and soul out onto the internet in a way that kind of, subsided a bit when I think social media uh, took off more. Mm -hmm. But so I, yeah, he, so he found my blog and he reached out to me in an email and we corresponded for a few months uh, before I drove to visit him. He was only a few hours away. So he, he was not very far and we just hit it off. Um, we had a lot in common outside of our faith and sexuality, which is very important. And I think about a year after we met, I don't know how it came up in conversation. I don't know if he asked me or I asked him, but the topic of, of a solid partnership came up and um, we agreed that we would like to try and, and we did. And despite some bumps, it's, it's worked out for the past eight years. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing that Matt had said in the last episode, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this is mm -hmm. he had said that when he got into a partnership and since then, really the fact of being in a partnership has really developed and changed his understanding of the whole concept as going on, you know, as they walked and as they learned more and dealt with kind of explaining it to other people and those kind of things. What has been your experience with those, with that? I think you certainly are figuring things out as you go along. You know, if that's, if that's what Matt, meant then i yeah. agree with that because you know there is no real model for this you know you, you talk about um a marriage and there are plenty of resources and plenty of books and people willing to give advice about what that should be and what that should look like and the bible itself gives you a, a framework for what that should look like and and this is not that you know i would say that if if 21st century society was as healthy as it should be and if it was as christ oriented as it should be there wouldn't necessarily be a reason for me and jonathan to have a solid partnership hmm. but i think in our society because it is so difficult for people who are single and they're outside of the marriage paradigm especially in a church, I think it's, it's more necessary for us. And so we've kind of had to figure out, okay, what does this look like? You know, we're not, you know, a married couple in the 
religious sense, you know, you know, we are a, we are a celibate commitment, but what does that look like? And and I think we're still answering those questions and we're still open to answering those questions um, because I, I don't want to act like I have everything figured out or that I know exactly what all the answers to these questions are. I'm still kind of, I don't want to say making it up as I go along, but being willing, being willing to listen as I go along has been really important. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said about how if our, you know, Western 21st century culture was healthy, there wouldn't necessarily be a need for, for partnerships in the way that they are now. But our culture is so focused on pairing up that sometimes that's really the only community that you can get or like right. the source of deep, deep, deep community. And, and, well, and, and even, even with pairs, I think that it's, our culture is not even really healthy to, to pairs either. Like you pair mm-hmm. up, but there's been so many studies about how, you know, even couples get so involved in just, you know, their children that they have a difficult time expanding their community beyond exactly. that. Yes. Um, we're, we're very, we're a very individualistic culture and that makes us also a very isolated culture, which, which leads to a lot of unhealthy outcomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how would, what would you say like in your partnership, do you feel like your partnership, it has been a difficulty then to expand your community or do you feel like your partnership has kind of helped you expand your community beyond that? I, I do think it has helped. I think that, you know, it, it is, it's good to have someone around you who challenges you and who is really committed to your highest good and, and you can be committed to their highest good. Um, you know, I think one of my struggles as a single person was just, just getting out there and meeting people you know, and being, being open and being, um, you know, willing to approach someone and start a conversation. And I think having, you know, someone who you know is going to be there and who has committed to you makes it easier to have those types of interactions yes. because you know, you can't mess it up. It's like, okay, I'm what I, I, I have the confidence of being able to pursue other friendships because I don't have to fear rejection as much because I have a security, you know? And, and I guess, you know, I mean, some people have argued like, well, shouldn't your security be Christ? And, and he is obviously, but I think a lot of times we relationships help make Christ real for us, you know, yes. you know, it, it, it wouldn't quite be the same, um, you know, to face rejection and not have, you know, a family behind me. And I think Jonathan is is chosen family as opposed to being biological, but it, it still matters. I think the family absolutely does matter in terms of giving a person a foundation, which can then help them go pursue more community, more relationships, more friendships as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you really hit on a major issue that we face in the church just in general is so many times Christians will use that phrase or that 
direction of, well, shouldn't Jesus be your security? Shouldn't Jesus be the one that you go to? And yes, that's true. We should all, Jesus needs to be the first and most important person in our life, but that doesn't replace community. You know, Paul in Ephesians talks about that it's through our community that Jesus is glorified, that the church isn't one person. And I think that's, again, going back to what you were saying about how our culture is so individualistic that we make it about the relationship just between me as one person and Jesus. And that is a relationship. But the Bible, when it so much talks about our relationship with God, it talks about our relationship as the church, as a community with God, like that he is present when we are together. And so that Jesus doesn't replace our need for community in that way and intimacy. What would you say has been your biggest struggle and blessing from being in a celibate partnership? I would say the biggest blessing has been, again, just to have a person who's a part of my life, you know, who I know loves Christ, um, has a strong faith and good values and, and can just, be there for me and I can be there for him. It, it's nice to have that consistency, even when we're living apart. And I think I should stress that we haven't lived together for the past eight years. You know, I think being in a celibate partnership gives us the freedom to live apart and pursue our own goals, um, educational and professional and otherwise. So let me, let me try to remember this. I think we spent the first two years apart because we were at different schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next two years living together, in the same place and then two more years apart. And then we've been together again for the past two years. So it's kind of been two on two off. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have that freedom. So even when we're apart, um, we're, we're in touch with each other. Um, I know I have someone who will pray for me, who has my best interest in mind. That reliability is very important. So even having community around, I think that's, you know, an important thing is, is that I'm not necessarily using Jonathan as a crutch because even when we've lived apart, just knowing that I have someone who isn't going to abandon me has just made me a more bold, confident person and has helped me develop communities in the places where I've lived, even when he wasn't living with me. And, and I think that's, that's something that I think makes our relationship probably distinct from um, a marriage. Because I think a marriage, a husband and wife, you know, generally do want to stay together and be building a home and a community together and a family together as husband and wife. And that's a little different from us. I think the biggest struggle, I think a lot of the biggest struggles have been stuff that just any friendship would have struggles with, you know, learning to communicate, learning to, to, you know, address each other's needs in the right way. You know, I think all that kind of wonderful complex stuff that any two people can go through while they're learning about each other, you know, so I think those are some of the biggest struggles and, and also incidentally just explaining ourselves to other people and, and figuring out how open we should be about who we are and, what our relationship is like and, and how to um, how to answer questions in a way that people can understand, you know, because I think it is, is quite a different concept for a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. I, 
I agree with that. And kind of, you mentioned that obviously the struggles are very, are very um, similar to the things that you would deal with in any other kind of friendship or relationship. Would, would you categorize a celibate partnership within the category of friendship or in a separate category distinct? I, I would, I would say friendship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, that you know it's it's the kind of friendship that that borders on family yes um, but i think a lot of people have those kinds of friends and so i don't want to say it's, it's particularly unique it's just more intentional i think you know someone can have a childhood friend that they've known forever and they feel a lot of commitment to and and, and they treat that person like a sibling you know my sister has a friend like that she shows up at our Christmas and Thanksgiving, like, you know, she, she's not blood related, but she's just been a part of our kind of family ecosystem forever. I think this is just an example of doing that intentionally, you know? I think that's a critical factor because I feel like a lot of people who are learning about celibate partnerships more look at it as like marriage, but just without sex. Obviously, like you said, I guess every, every partnership's different, but I think it's, especially interesting to look at as you know this friendship with this intentionality as you said friendship bordering on bordering on family that in a way you become family to each other and i I think that we all celibate gay christians um side b christians in general we all have to answer that question of what is going to be my future when i'm 80 years old who am I going to come right. home to? Who right. am I going to spend holidays with? Because that's an issue, you know, and it's, it's not as easily answered when you're a side B Christian. It takes more right. intentionality and in thinking through it. And obviously some people go into mixed orientation marriages. Some people go into intentional communities and some people into partnerships. And we're all answering that question in different ways and trying to find that answer to the question of right. what will be my future community. Right. And, and I want to say that I don't think the idea of a celibate partnership um, or this kind of intentional like commitment, I don't think it necessarily has to be something that only side B gay Christians do. I think that, and I don't think historically it's something that only gay people did. I think if you, you know, look back at the, you know, Victorian era or kind of the Gilded Age, you know, in the United States, there were, you know, oftentimes confirmed bachelors or spinsters who would live together. Now, you know, we might code that as queer um, based on modern readings. We might not, you know, necessarily take it at face value that those couples were not, um, um, sexual, mm-hmm. yeah, they could have been, but they also might not have been. I mean, I think there was more of a tradition of, you know, not living alone into your old age, finding someone who you could have as a companion, even if you weren't married. And so, yeah, I mean, you have because because you had to. It was it was about survival. It was about mm-hmm. you know making sure that you had someone to look after you. You know, even in my own family, I have an aunt who is is not gay but she has never married and you know figuring out 
who's going to look out for her among the nieces and nephews is, you know, something that we've had to intentionally talk about as a family. So it's not just limited to gay people, but it just is something that I think a lot of us have to deal with a lot earlier. Mm -hmm. um, if we know that we're going to be celibate in our twenties and thirties, then it's something that we're thinking about a lot earlier than someone who, you know, maybe hits 60 and hasn't married at that point, you know? Yeah. I, and I totally agree. I think that one issue we have in looking at queer history is so many times we take those kind of relationships that we see in history and we automatically sexualize them. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like sometimes we jump to that conclusion too often, not saying that that's not a reality. And sometimes that probably right. it, there were people that, you know, at the appearance lived together as friends, but were probably, you know, more than that. But yeah. um, we can't always just jump to this conclusion of look how close they were living, you know, when we're, re when we're looking back on history, because I really think that that is, we're pushing our culture onto history. We're pushing our understanding of our culture onto that past right. culture. And, and that's, that's in a sense cultural superiority where we're thinking that our culture right. is better. And so therefore we know better than what that culture did uh, in that time period. Uh, I think C.S. Yeah. Lewis had a term for it and I'm not going to remember, but he, he called it something like historical superiority where we think right. that we somehow, because we're later in history than everyone else, that we have a better way, a better perspective to understand what was really happening. To, and I think that's critical to realize, to make that distinction that this is, like you said, this isn't necessarily just a gay thing, but it becomes more apparent in our lives. Right. And, you know, you, you talked about how you guys are still kind of also figuring out how open to be and how to talk about your, you know, your partnership and all of that. So how has your community around you like responded and supported you? And I guess kind of going into that, how, how have you guys decided to talk about it or not talk about it and those kind of things? Um, it's interesting. There's, there's almost like two different standards or um, aspects to this. I think with our church, our church has been mostly supportive and we've definitely been able to be open with, um, kind of the elders in our church and our pastors about who we are, you know, the fact that we're both gay, the fact that we have this uh, celibate partnership. Um, it's definitely a new concept for a lot of people there. Um, a lot of people have questions, but I think the good thing at our church has been that a lot of people have also been willing to listen without judgment. And that's been really encouraging. Um, and, and we're also willing to listen to them. I, I don't want to take this posture in my church of saying that I have everything figured out um, and that I don't need guidance and support because I do. So it has been good to have a church that's willing to be open-minded um, and let us work everything out together uh, transparently. You know, sometimes people do bring up questions. That's like, Oh, I haven't thought about that. And maybe that does, you know, Maybe I should consider that, or maybe I should, you know, be more aware of a certain boundary. But I think the level of trust is there where I don't feel like anything is being said in bad faith. I don't feel like anything is being coming out of uh, homophobia. So, so that's, that's been good. It's interesting because I feel like we've been very, very open with our church. It's a little tougher to be open with, 
our more secular friends and coworkers and colleagues and that kind of thing, because, you know, from the outside appearance, we are a young professional millennial gay couple. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of the people in our neighborhoods are also, you know, young professional couples and most of them are straight. We we tend to associate mostly with straight people. We we haven't really plugged into a queer community um, where we current, where we currently live, but it's tough because, you know, if you're sitting down to dinner with, you know, a, a straight couple who are, you know, straight and married and, and you're, they're going to engage with you like, oh, here are our charming gay friends, you know? And I think it's only about, probably only about one couple that we've met, we've gotten to the point where they specifically asked about our faith and how we reconcile that. And that kind of gave us an opening to talk about being celibate. And they were quite surprised. And I think it took them a bit to wrap their heads around it. And they've been very respectful and lovely about it. Um, even though I think they, they certainly didn't quite get it, you know, mm-hmm. um, but, but usually that doesn't come up. You know, I think we try to be open about the fact that we're Christians and to be a good witness on that. But I, I certainly don't want to lead with the celibacy thing because I do think it does kind of freak people out, but then it does kind of raise the question. And this is something that I'm still trying to discern of how open should I be? You know, should I lead with it? Um, or should I talk about it more? more often as opposed to just when asked, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's true for, that's, that's true for my faith in general though. I, I've always kind of struggled with when to evangelize and when to, to talk about my faith and, and when to, you know, bring that up with my, my friends who don't believe. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's a struggle partnership, single, whatever, you know, I've always tried to figure out, when talking about my faith or, or celibacy and all those things. Cause like you said, you don't want celibacy to be the first thing that's brought up and then you're just known as the celibate person. Right. Right. <laughs> and all of that. And so it's like trying to find that way of being able to share it where people don't feel like you've been hiding it, but also right. allowing people to see you for you. Because I think sometimes when we share things like that too soon, people project onto us all of their previous notions of celibacy or whatever it might be. And so finding that kind of balance is hard. And I've even struggled with that in my own life of going, when do I talk about this and when do I not? Right. Well, and it's, and like I said, I mean, I was, my point of reference there was other, was straight couples, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, with gay people, who aren't believers, it's even more difficult because I don't want to dig up old wounds. I don't want anyone to feel like I'm judging them or, you know, that I have some kind of like moral superiority over them because I'm a celibate because that's not the case. Um, But that's tough. I think, I think this is one of the problems. Well, you know, with having been, you know, kind of a conservative celibate Christian since I was 18 that I didn't really create those relationships with 
you know, the secular gay community as much. You know, I, I certainly knew people. I certainly met people. I did briefly date one guy in college, you know, and that was, that was a sexual relationship, but then we broke up because I felt like I was not doing the right thing. And so like that was, that was really kind of it. And so I haven't had, you know, that same experience as someone who, you know, maybe, you know, was a non-believer until, you know, three years ago and is, is recently converted. So that's a different experience that I've had. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it definitely makes a difference within those relationships and, and things. And so another question that I've been asking people related to their community is specifically about how your community, and in this case, your partnership, help point you back to Jesus. And kind of one of the reasons why I asked this question is just because obviously as Christians, that's our goal is to know Jesus more and, and deeper and, and have a deeper relationship with him. And then our community should point us there. So how would you say that that has been in within your life and in your partnership? I think it's just brought me outside of myself. You know, it's challenged me to put another person's well-being above my own even when that might be difficult for me. And I think that's something that I really find in the message of Christ. It's, it's that challenge to think of others, to give to others, to sacrifice for others, you know, to lay down your life for your friends, um, which is such a beautiful you know, piece of scripture. And, and, and that sounds like very mundane stuff, but I think it's so crucial to relationships mm-hmm. and that's one thing that this partnership has done for my faith. It has shown me what it looks like to put another person's needs first. I think C.S. Lewis, who you mentioned earlier, um, writes a lot about just the importance of self-forgetfulness. You know, not yeah. just selflessness, but self-forgetfulness, where you're kind of even forgetting about your own ego and your own needs in the moment, and you are just pouring into someone else. And I think that one of the struggles of living alone is that you don't have to do that very often. I actually did get good advice from a friend when I was first kind of discerning whether to pursue a celibate partnership with Jonathan. He, the friend brought up just this idea of, you know, kind of the crotchety old person who has always lived alone. That yes, they might be lonely, but sometimes they get very set in their ways and they have a difficult time finding community. And I think he was thinking about actual people that he knew in his church because they're so set in their ways. They've, they've lived alone for their whole lives and everything that they have wanted to have in their home, it's, it's exactly the way that they want to be. You know, they don't have, they, they always have the, the thermostat set where they want it. They can, decorate anything the way they want it they can turn the tv Mm -hmm. channel any way they want it you know they don't have to worry about you know another person's needs regarding meals it's everything in their life is arranged around them and obviously parents you know don't get to do this because they have kids and then they have to focus on their kids needs Um, and spouses have to figure out how to work things out with each other as well. And I think even in my own life, this partnership has been good for 
challenging me to, to kind of get out of my own ego sometimes and realize that I can't always have things my way. And I think that has brought me closer to Christ just because, you know, that that's what community is. That's what Christ is. It is that kind of sacrificing for someone else and putting someone else first and being willing to say that I am not important here. It's humility. And so I think that's what this partnership has done for me. That's so important. I totally agree that, you know, sometimes when we talk about community or partnerships or whatever, we focus kind of on the personal benefit that we might get from it. But we forget that community and relationships in general are, are a matter of sacrifice. We sacrifice things in order to be in relationship. And I mean, that's obviously what Jesus taught is that by loving is saying that I'm willing to give up my preferences and to give up the things that normally I would want to do in order to be in relationship with you, in order to serve you better. Um, and that's, that's the whole point of community and especially Christian community with everything that we do. That's great. And, you know, you mentioned that you mentioned a little bit about your friend who talked to you during your discerning process when you were discerning about whether to uh, be and, you know, to pursue this partnership with Jonathan. And I think that that's something, at least from the people that I have heard from and talked to who are kind of also discerning whether a partnership is for them, has been not really knowing what a discerning process would look like. And so I guess, first of all, could you share... Um, explain a little bit of what that discerning process looked for liked for you two. And then I guess if you have any advice for those who are discerning that same thing now, like, is there anything that you wish you would have known back then? Um, I mean, I would say it, it, it really just involved talking to people that I trusted um, both uh, straight and gay um, people who were older and wiser, whether they were in partnerships or not, just, you know, really putting myself out there, you know, saying, Hey, here's what I'm thinking about and, and being willing to listen. If someone had some really good reasons why they didn't think it was a good idea, I didn't want to just brush them off. You know, like I, I, it, it made me think, okay, okay, how are we going to handle temptation? You know, how are we going to um, represent ourselves to people? Um, you know, what does make this different from just being a boyfriend without the sex? What are our exact physical boundaries going to be? You know, what's appropriate and what's not? Just being willing to ask those questions and find something that you can, that you think aligns with scripture and aligns with your conscience. Um, so I think just... That, desert, that, that discerning process really just comes down to asking a lot of questions and also realizing that you know, just because something has worked for someone else doesn't necessarily mean that it'll work for you. You know, this, this isn't the, I think this isn't the only way to live. I think that's very important to, to mention here is that I wouldn't want this to be the, the default action for side B uh, people the same way that you know we should be kind of letting go of of marriage as the default action for straight people i mean we need to make singleness something that is seen as legitimate and so i i i don't want 
a solid partnership to become in the gay Christian community the same thing that you know marriage is in in the straight community if that makes yes. sense yes it makes sense um, definitely and and so I think and like I said earlier that's just one thing that I'm kind of currently concerned about is to make sure that I'm not just going through the motions of being a a normal millennial couple just without the sex because um, I don't think that's what we should do um, you know we already live in a society and in a church where people just pair off and, and become insular and I don't want to continue to do that um, or contribute to that so I think if you're side B and and you and you're looking for just a boyfriend without the sex then then maybe reconsider what you're actually called to and my partner and I are currently considering how we should use our partnership in a way that's different from a heterosexual married couple because you know that couple has its you know obligations toward children and family so we've thought about you know maybe we should form an intentional community or or just minister to seniors and shut-ins in our church just things that we're uniquely gifted to do and so i think a lot of times discerning whether you should be in a solid partnership should be about just what are your unique gifts and are they going to be furthered by a partnership um, or not. And so I would say that if you have met someone and you're talking about this subject, just be honest with yourself and with them. Obviously not every two gay people are, you know, going to be compatible. So just because you and another person are, both gay and both Christian and both celibate doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a good match for um, a partnership. You know, I think that was something, and I'm sure you've had this experience as well is that you sometimes feel a little pressured to be friends with everyone in this community. And yes. sometimes that's just, sometimes it's just not, not reasonable. You, like, you, you can't be friends with everyone. You can only manage so many relationships. Um, and so sometimes it's more about just equipping people to go out and form healthy relationships on their own. Um, um, you know, yeah. And like I said, also, but if you are compatible and if you are physically attracted to each other, I think being honest about temptations is a big issue. You know, be serious about that, that if it is too difficult to overcome that and you're causing yourself to, mentally or physically stumble then you know it just may not be for you with that person it was kind of helpful that jonathan and i did not meet in person at first we kind of got to know each other through emails and correspondence i think had we both been secular i don't think that we would have been interested in each other we just were not each other's type physically and so mm -hmm. that's been beneficial that that has made it a little easier to be celibate uh, with each other. It hasn't been perfect. And, you know, it was, it was especially, I think more difficult early on, but it's gotten a lot better um, and easier over time. And just with more honesty and more openness. So yeah, just listen to people, ask a lot of questions of yourself and of others and, and be honest with those answers. Yeah. No, I, it's funny that you brought up the whole thing of like, just because you're both gay doesn't mean you're compatible. And it kind of reminds me of that old joke where 
you know, you have that friend who's like, oh, I have someone that I want you to like introduce you to and set you up with. And you're like, oh, really? Like, why do you think we'd be a good couple? Well, you're both gay. Right. And you're right. like, well, does that really make us compatible? Obviously, that's a secular kind of version of it. But it's the same way right. of just because we're both gay doesn't mean we're going to be friends. And, and just because we are a person is straight doesn't mean you're not going to be their friend, you know. But I love what you said about the caution that with the potential of partnerships, we have to be careful to not put it in the same place that the straight community has put marriage. That that has to be a caution that we have in our minds of going, this, this isn't for everyone. And this isn't the default and shouldn't be the default situation that people look to. That it's really important to discern what is my community and look at all of the options. That's one thing I've tried to do with this whole entire season is, is look at the different ways that people find community because just because, as you said, one thing works for one person doesn't mean it's going to work for you. It just right. doesn't, you know, but, you know, talking about the whole issue of temptation, I know that a lot of critics of celibate partnerships will bring up this topic of, aren't you just putting yourself into temptation? And like, isn't that a reason why you should run away from it? And so is, is when you guys were especially struggling with that, what, what were some of the ways that you guys combated that temptation? If you're willing to talk, about, uh, if you're okay to talk about that. Well, sure. I mean, it helped that we weren't living together at first. So I think the, the more difficult seasons were when we were living apart um, early on, like the, those first two years and would visit and hadn't really established well what our boundaries were. So, you know, we might get into trouble because we were just being a little too intimate when we were visiting and we hadn't seen each other in a while. And so we were, you know, just kind of caught up in our feelings, so to speak. And I think it was kind of trial and error. It was like, okay, well, that shouldn't be in that situation, you know, shouldn't be, you know, maybe sleeping in the same bed, you know, um, just, learning as we went along and and to be honest like i think fairly early there was some concern that this wasn't a good idea and i think well it's like luckily we, we weren't living together so we could say okay well let's not hang out for a few weeks or months and and see what happens and just be very honest with that something isn't working then being willing to kind of course correct and also i mean it, it wasn't our case, but I think if if we had not been able to course correct, I think being able to to throw in the towel, you know, because this isn't a marriage, you know, you can say, okay, this isn't working, you know, let's let's stay friends, but kind of, you know, go our separate ways in terms of trying to form a partnership. And that's happened to other guys I know who have who have tried to form partnerships is that they they try it and they give it a good effort and it just doesn't work out and that's okay that shouldn't be seen as any more damaging than any other relationship that doesn't work out so I think so I, I, th I think if, it, if if it's true that you are constantly putting yourself in to a tempting situation where you just have to white knuckle it then that's a problem and you know, you need to address it. But I think what I try to tell straight people is that that's not always the problem. I'm not attracted 
to every gay man out there to the same degree. I'm not going to have the same amount of temptation with every other person, just like, you know, every straight person isn't going to be equally attracted and equally tempted by every other person. And it helps if you have another person who is as, as committed to avoiding temptation as you are, you know, um, it makes it easier to combat that when you're both committed to it and there's someone to say no, you know? Yeah. I think that you pointed on a, um, big thing that this isn't a marriage and obviously the whole point of partnership is commitment, but it's okay if you try it and just say, this isn't going to work, you know? And I think that many times, you know, I've heard from some people, their concern of that sometimes the only partnerships that they've heard of are ones that haven't worked out and how for them that makes them feel like this is an invalid option for them. I mean, I'm talking about side B people. Right. And I I think it's also kind of like, just because some don't work out doesn't mean that that invalidates the whole entire concept of working. Right. Some don't work out and that's fine. Just, I mean, honestly, the whole fact of the divorce rate doesn't invalidate the reality of marriage. Exactly. It's it's the same thing. We're not going to say, well, because divorce rate is so high, therefore, marriage just can't work. No. Right. It's difficult. Any kind of commitment is difficult. And, but then, you know, you also have the possibility of saying, is this going to work for us or not? And being very real about that. Right. Um, But, you know, my last question is really revolving around the issue. Being honest, not all side B people are agreed on how they feel about this celibate partnerships being a valid option for LGBT Christians. Right. Um, some side B people feel it shouldn't be an option. And obviously then they don't go, you know, they don't go down that route. Uh, and some people both, I mean, ex-gay people and, and other, a lot of different people might say that it's a slippery slope into side A. And so I would love to hear your thoughts on how would you respond to those kind of concerns? I mean, I don't really accept the slippery slope argument in general for anything because I, I, I do consider that a, a logical fallacy. Any fundamentalist can use a slippery slope argument about anything, you know, whether it's, it's women wearing pants or speaking in church or people drinking alcohol. I mean, uh, you can always find someone who wants you to take the more fundamentalist approach and they're going to use the slippery slope argument against it. You know, if we allow this, then this will happen. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's how people operate. You know, I think I believe what I believe. If I was going to be side A, I probably would have done that by now. But the truth is that I simply wasn't convinced by side A arguments. And I don't think that... Yeah, I mean, I think I think for some people, you know, it's absolutely true that their progression does look like, you know, very ex-gay and then side B and then maybe in a side B partnership and, and then, you know, side A and they kind of go from that very more conservative position to a more liberal one. Um, but that's that's their evolution, you know. Other people can get off the train at at other stops, I guess. And and this is kind of where I have found both my own 
peace and security. And also just intellectually, this is what I think is, is, is right and appropriate. That might change one day, but because I feel comfortable and because I feel very secure in where I am right now, I don't see this as like a slippery slope yeah. you know, issue. It's, I mean, it's definitely true that pretty much anyone can make that argument in any way of saying, well, this is a slippery soap. I mean, obviously from a more conservative perspective that, that anyone can really make that argument about anything, but um, that doesn't mean that it's true. So, you know, I want to thank you so much for doing this because, you know, as I said, this is a reality this is a reality in many side B people's lives, whether some side B people agree with it or not, it's a reality. So therefore it's something that we need to talk about and it's something that needs to be acknowledged and said, okay, this is, this is something that is people choose. And so let's, let's discuss it. And so I want to thank you for being willing to step up and talk about it because I think it's really needed for this conversation. Well, I think, thank you for giving me a chance to talk, to talk about it. I don't think I've ever really talked about it for a side B audience before. Yeah. Um, So I, I appreciate the opportunity. Well, that's it for today, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Wasn't Max great? Uh, Next week, we are moving away from the topical interviews, and we are going to be going into our question and answer episode, where I'm going to be circling back with some of our guests from the past season and asking them the questions that you guys sent in. So be listening to that. You definitely won't want to miss it as we go over a little bit more in depth some of these topics like adoption, intentional community, mixed orientation, marriage, all this good stuff. So be listening and have a great week, everyone.